this ethics episode is about having a good heart. And a fitting verse in Psalms to accompany it is Psalms 51 verse 12 that tells us that the Almighty created us with a pure heart. And then we pray, may you give us a proper spirit, may a proper spirit renew within us. I think this is a very valuable lesson to always remember. Our heart, our soul, when the Almighty created it, it started off as pure. That is its most natural state. And yes, over the course of our lives, over the course of our decisions, sometimes it may become corroded, it may become sullied, and we have to work really hard to restore it back to its pristine purity, but it's helpful to always remember, as the verse in Psalms tells us, 51.12, when the Almighty created it, when it started off, it was pure, that is the most natural state of our heart. We are up to chapter 6, Mishnah number 6. This is the 48 ways to acquire Torah. And we're up to way number 23. You know, our sages, they're really experts on acquiring Torah, on acquiring wisdom. And it's kind of amazing that they organized for us 48 different ways to do it. And we're up to way number 23, Belave Tov with a good heart. If you have a good heart, that is a way to achieve wisdom. Now, what exactly does a good heart mean? It sounds very ambiguous. So the two questions we have to ponder are, what exactly are our sages intending when they say a good heart as a means to acquire wisdom? Number one, so what does it mean? Number two, how does it serve as a way to acquire wisdom as a means to acquire Torah? And in general, you know, we think about Torah and the way to acquire it, it's something that we do with our mind. It's something that we associate with cognitive means. A good heart sounds really nice, but it sounds like it's uh, emotions, it's feelings, it's, it's social behavior. So how does a good heart serve as a way to acquire wisdom? That is our question. And I want to suggest today three different approaches. Of course, they're not mutually exclusive, but three different ideas of what it means in this context to have a good heart and how that can serve as a way to acquire wisdom, as a way to acquire Torah. The first idea is the idea of being joyous in someone else's success. When Moshe was commissioned by the Almighty to go save the Jewish people, he launches into a weeks-long series of objections. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want the job. He doesn't want the promotion. And this is told in chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Exodus. Moshe has been told, hey, God's selecting you to go save the nation. And all of us would be very eager to take that job. What, what, what glory, what responsibility, what a legacy. And Moshe doesn't want it. And the real reason why he doesn't want it is because Moshe has an older brother, Aaron. And Moshe is worried that Aaron may feel a little bit hurt by the fact that Moshe, the younger brother, is getting this promotion and Aaron is overlooked. 
And when Moshe presents that argument to God, God says, Aaron, you worried about Aaron? When Aaron sees you, he'll be happy. He'll be glad in his heart. Aaron is someone that does not have even a smidgen of envy. And when he sees Moshe triumphing, he sees Moshe achieving this pinnacle, this apotheosis of career success. He's going to be happy, not just superficially, but even in his heart. And because of that, our sages tell us, Aaron merited to have the breastplate, the choshen, on his heart. Aaron is the prototype of having a good heart, where in his heart, he's happy for others. If we take that to the pursuit of wisdom, we can find perhaps one idea in what our Mishnah means when it talks about a good heart and how it connects to wisdom. Most of us, at least by default, we tend to be very protective, very motivated by advancing our own agenda, not necessarily the agenda of others. And we may get territorial about our own ideas. My idea is better than someone else's idea. What if objectively the other person's idea is better? Doesn't matter. This one's mine. And this is the one that I protect. This is one that I cherish. This is the one that I value. We're motivated. This is, of course, not a good quality. But by design, by, by default, we have the Yitzhahara. And the Yitzhahara says, no, you, your idea is better. And, and what you thought of is more, is more brilliant than what someone else thinks of. And to have a good heart, like Aaron, it means to be able to celebrate someone else's success, someone else's insight. If someone wants wisdom, and they're only using their own mind, they're, they're handcuffing themselves. They're hamstrung in the pursuit of wisdom. There's only one mind that they could tap into to achieve wisdom. But imagine someone is receptive to other people's ideas and they're willing to accept other people's ideas with the same intensity that they accept their own ideas. They have a good heart. And they're always learning from other people. And they're like the wise person that the Mishnah earlier tells us, Ezeu Chacham, who's the wise person? He who learns from everyone. They learn from everyone because they have a good heart. And they could stomach the idea that someone else's ideas have legitimacy as well. So someone with a good heart is willing to accept the triumphs of other people. That's someone that's going to be receptive to other people's ideas. And they're going to be able to achieve more wisdom than working as a lone wolf on their own. You know, in the yeshiva, the ethos of the yeshiva is very much oriented around this. Even the youngest, most junior of the students can challenge, not only that, is is encouraged to challenge the great masters. When someone gives a lecture, it's open season. It's fair game. You have a great sage who authored many books, is a legendary Torah figure, throughout the land. And once they walk up, walk up to the podium and they begin to present their argument, it is open season. You're allowed to challenge them. You're allowed to question them. You're allowed to scream at them if you disagree. 
And if you're right, they will accept it. Why? Because anyone who achieves that level of wisdom has a good heart and is receptive to other people's ideas. We're trying to find the truth. We're trying to find what the Almighty wants in the Torah. And yes, of course, there are 70 facets of the Torah. There are different dimensions of Torah. But if I could disprove your idea, you have to accept that. Why? Because we're arguing over the Almighty's Torah. There are many legendary stories of great sages who they present their idea in public. But there could be a thousand participants in the lecture. And someone from the back of the room gets up and says, no, you're wrong, and I could, I could, I could prove. I could prove it. And the sage will listen. And if, indeed, the questioner is correct, they will relinquish their claim. And there have been stories of great sages who close their book and say, you know what, you're wrong. You're right and I'm wrong. We'll have to work through this again. That is a good heart. That's a heart that's able to be happy for other people's ideas. Let's don't, don't appeal to authority. No, I'm the sage and who are you, some puny little kid? Who are you to argue with me? No. Even a small junior student has a say. And that's the idea of a good heart, or idea number one, of a good heart, where you're able to amass ideas from everyone because you're happy for other people to have their moment in the spotlight, their 15 minutes of fame, their triumph in pursuit of knowledge and of wisdom, and that will be very beneficial for you to achieve wisdom on your own. Idea number one. Idea number two is a little bit more, a little bit more advanced, a little more sophisticated idea. And that is that the heart is often synonymous with our desires. We have to love God with all our hearts. Bechol levavcha. Not bechol libcha. Bechol levavcha. With all your hearts. You only have one heart. If you do an autopsy or heart surgery, you will not find two literal hearts, two physical hearts. But in scripture, the heart is used as a, as a, as a metaphor for someone's desire, what they deeply want. And very often we have two hearts. We have the good heart and we have the bad heart, known as the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, and the Yetzer Sahara, the bad inclination. And we're told in the beginning of the Shema, we have to love Hashem our God with all our hearts, the good heart and the bad heart. Both of them have to love God. What does that mean? It means that even our quote-unquote bad heart can be made good, can be used as a means to love God and to advance the agenda of our soul. This is a big idea, central idea of our philosophy. We don't believe that you have to completely dissociate from something that the Almighty gave you. Everything that the Almighty gave you can be used to advance your spiritual agenda in life. Even the ostensibly bad heart can be made good. Of course, this is really what life is all about. Life is about overcoming, neutralizing, but even channeling the Yetzirah, so it doesn't become an impediment to our spiritual advancement. In fact, it could even contribute 
towards our spiritual advancement. So if someone has a good heart, it means that the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, is not working against them in their pursuit of the agenda of the soul. We start off life, we have a bad inclination, it's an unbelievable thing. A little bit of the primordial serpent is within us. It's a crazy idea. And it serves as a fifth column within our heart. And it directs our life, or at least it encourages poor decisions, ones that will harm us in the long term. And our objective is to wage war against this foe within us. And if we have a good heart, it means that the Yetzara, well, to the degree that we do have a good heart, the Yetzara is not operating within us negatively. All this comes to play in the question of Torah. Torah is the Almighty's mind, so to speak. We have a very hard time connecting to the Almighty via theology, but His mind is transposed, so to speak, to frames of reference that we can understand in the Torah. Thus, we have an entire system of the Almighty's way of thinking that we can understand. We we can read the Torah. Laws of commerce and interpersonal behavior, laws that we can relate to and understand. It's been formatted for human consumption. Unbelievable idea. And by connecting to to Torah, we're adapting ourselves to the will of the Almighty. And we're upgrading our minds and our lives to be more in line, to, to conform with the will of the Almighty. And the more we connect to Torah, the more we become congruent with our soul and with the spiritual world. And this is the epicenter of the battle of the Yetzirah. Nothing undermines the agenda of the Yetzirah as much as the study of Torah. Nothing. In fact, the Talmud tells us, I created the Yetzirah, I created the Torah as an antidote. The exact opposite of the Yetzirah is Torah. And therefore, the Yetzirah is very threatened when we are trying to study Torah. Its empire is under siege. It's being threatened. And therefore, the, the real battle of our life is Torah versus the Sahara. That's where it meets. That's where the two points are. That's the front lines. And this Mishnah reveals that there is a, a, a virtuous cycle here. I start off in Aviyat Sahara. How do I overcome that? With Torah. But what happens as a result of that? As a result of that, every success, every triumph of Torah cleanses the bad heart and makes it a little bit good or less bad. But it moves it, inches it in that direction. And now I have a good heart, or at least relatively. It's, it's been improved slightly. Well, what's the result of that? Now that the Yetzirah is weakened, there's this virtuous cycle now that the study 
is easier. And thus the study becomes easier, and thus the heart becomes better, and that makes the study easier, and that makes the heart better. And that's the virtuous cycle. And that's the mitzvah. Every mitzvah drags with it another mitzvah that we read earlier in the book. So the Yitzhak does not want us to study Torah. And therefore, when we start, it's very hard, very difficult. It will launch every one of its tricks. It will deplete its arsenal, its repertoire of tricks, and it's got a lot of tricks to get us to stop studying, to prevent us from starting to study. Why? Because this is life and death, the Yitzhak. And that's why the beginning is very hard. The first step is murderously hard. But the second step is going to be easier, and the third step is going to be easier, and so on. It's going to get progressively easier and more enjoyable. Why? Because the heart has been remedied. The heart is now better. The Yitzhara's influence over a person and a person's heart has been diminished with every bit of Torah study. And that's this process that's being outlined in this picture. You have a good heart. How do you get a good heart? You got to improve the Yitzhara, the bad heart. Well, how do you do that with Torah? And that feeds back to Torah study. Now it's a little bit easier because your opponent has been weakened and so on. The virtuous cycle continues until the Yitzhara has been completely cleansed, completely neutralized. And of course, that's a lifetime's work. But that's what we are mandated to do. This is a very advanced idea. We want to have a good heart. What does that mean? We start with a bad heart. Now, of course, we cannot be blamed for the eight Sahara that we have implanted within us. We didn't choose it. But that is a fact, a reality of all humans ever since the sin of Adam. And that's going to stop us or prevent us or try its hardest to prevent us from studying. And that's why it's really hard at the beginning. But once you start, you're improving the heart, and thus you're making the subsequent study easier. And the more you have a good heart, the less resistance you face, and the more you can connect to the Almighty's wisdom. Says the number two, a good heart means a heart that's less under the thumb of the Sahara. And finally, idea number three, and that is that a heart is indicative of a person's actual reality. How a person actually behaves, how a person actually lives, how a person actually interfaces with the world. We really have two warring identities within us. We have who we profess to be, our stated preferences, and then we have the actual person, our revealed preferences. And those are not necessarily the same. We can profess to have very high-minded ideals, priorities, values, but look at how we actually live, and that is who we really are. What do we actually prioritize? What do we actually spend time and resources on? And those two may be, may be very different. The canonical example of that is Asaph. We know the story of Asaph, Jacob's twin brother. 
The Talmud, the Midrash, talks about how Esav died. He died, he was trying to block the burial of Jacob in the cave of the patriarchs. And Jacob's grandson, Hushim, decapitated Esav, and his head rolled into the cave. And our sages tell us that Esav's head was buried in the cave of the patriarchs, and his body was buried elsewhere, either in Mount Seir, maybe on the grounds of the, the cave of the patriarchs area. That's what we're told about Esav's interment. On a spiritual level, what this tells us is that Esav, if you were to just isolate his head, just the stated preferences, what he professed to live by, he was worthy of being together with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and their respective spouses. He was on that level. In his head, Esav was a patriarch. The problem was that the rest of the body wasn't really in line, wasn't commensurate to the head. Those links that bind the mind, the head, to the body, those links were missing. And that's why his body was not worthy of being buried there. His body was buried elsewhere. And this shows us the, the, the conflict of our lives, not just to acquire wisdom, to assemble wisdom in our head, but also to have that filter down, to have that penetrate our heart and our lives. And we have a mitzvah that's really de- dedicated to, to trying to bridge that gap. And that, of course, is the tefillin. We don't have one tefillin, we have two. One on our head and one by our heart. And that's symbolizing the, the, the two prongs, the two stages of wisdom. Stage number one is to take the wisdom that is, of course, invoked in the scrolls of the tefillin and place it in our heads. But that's not enough. The next stage is to have that filter down to our hearts as well. To make our revealed and stated preferences the same. But in general, these are very different domains. You ask people, well, what are you living for? What's your, what's the goal of your life? They'll say, well, my family and ideals. I have a mission. I have all these beliefs. I have these values. But then you say, okay, well, how, how are you spending your day? Well, it's work. Then you got to argue about politics. You got to watch your sports teams and you have to watch your shows, entertainment, five hours of television a day. How a person actually lives may be very different from how they state their values and their priorities. What about God? What about your eternal life? What about the soul that will outlive your life in this world? How central is that? That may be in an area where there's a wide gulf between your mind and your heart, between your stated, professed preferences and your revealed preferences. Our Shaitas tell us that the distance between the mind and the heart is greater than the distance from heaven to earth. Which, parenthetically, the Talmud tells us is a 500 years journey, whatever that means. What we theoretically value and live by 
may be very different from how we operate in our hearts. We may have very lofty ideals in our heads, but in our hearts and our behavior and how we actually live our life, it may be very petty, maybe very low. What does it mean to have a good heart? A good heart means that whatever is good in your mind does not remain there alone. It gets passed on. It gets absorbed into the heart. A good heart means that the values, the ideals, the priorities, the agenda that we think of in our head is manifested as well in our heart. All the good ideals, all those values, all those priorities, they dwell in the heart as well as in the head. And this is, of course, an idea that's very valuable throughout our lives. But when it comes to study, it's paramount. When it comes to wisdom, it's paramount. We study the Almighty's Torah. We have to ask ourselves the question, where does that reside within us? Does it reside in our head alone? Or do we take the effort to take it to the next stage, to migrate it from our mind down to our hearts? My grandfather used to always talk about this image, this picture, this story of someone studying Talmud with great devotion. And he's studying the portion that talks about how important and how valuable and how cherished it is to lend money to a poor person in their time of need and distress. The Torah lauds someone who lends money to the poor when they really need it. And the person's studying it with great devotion and intensity, and he hears a knock at the door. And there's a poor person who wants a loan. He says to him, well, i got to talk to my wife. I have to see my accounts. I'm not so sure. Come back tomorrow. He finds a way to get rid of that menace, that pest, and goes back to the Talmud and studies with great devotion. This is an example. This is a picture of someone who may have a very good head, so to speak, but the heart has not yet been fully acclimated to the values of what they're studying. The verse instructs us, this is in Devarim chapter 4, verse 39. You should know, but you should also bring to your heart that the Almighty is God in the heaven above and on the earth below, and there is nothing besides for God. Knowledge in your head, that's crucial, but so is the heart. And if your heart is good. It too manifests, reflects the values that you've studied in your head. That will be helpful in the pursuit of wisdom of knowledge. When there's a gap, when there's dissonance, when there's a gulf between the head and the heart, the study itself is not as productive. But if we can shrink 
the distance, the gulf between what is in our head and what is in our heart, the Mishnah tells us that the head itself will be more productive. Why? Because it's not just theoretical abstract ideas. It's much more real. It's much more integrated. When we exhibit the values of Torah in our heart, in our behavior, in our revealed preferences, then the Torah, then the wisdom, finds a better home even in our mind. So we have an incredible Mishnah. One of the ways to achieve Torah, one of the ways to acquire Torah, to acquire wisdom, is to have a good heart. And we shared three ideas. Again, these are not mutually exclusive. Idea number one is like Aaron. A good heart means to happy with the, to be happy with the success and the accomplishments of others. And that will result in us being able to learn from every other person that we encounter. Idea number two is that a heart, a good heart, means a heart that's cleansed of the eight Sahara. And that is the force that's trying to stop us from studying Torah. And the result of that is the virtuous cycle where the heart becomes progressively more cleansed and thus it becomes easier and easier to study. And idea number three is the idea of applied wisdom. It becomes much more real, much more integrated. It's part of you. It becomes enmeshed within you. The wisdom penetrates more deeper, more, there's a more intimate connection with what you study. And that paves the way for greater achievement in your studies as well. Way number 23. How do you achieve wisdom? Our sages, the, the greatest experts the world has ever seen in this, in this question of, of how to achieve wisdom. They tell us one of the ways is with a good heart. A good heart is a means to achieve Torah, to acquire wisdom.